Broadcasting live from the Empire Thwips back, this is Pop Culture Reference, your one-stop reference for all things pop culture. I'm one of your hosts, Seamus Connolly. And I'm Garrett Strother. And today we are going to go crazy with this new one. Our main segment today, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. I really was about to say Into the Spider-Verse again, which which, is, which was last week, but... We're getting spidery with it today, folks. I, I'm very excited to talk about this. We just watched it together last night in IMAX. We're, we're bursting at the seams to get into it. But first, we have one piece of news that it's like a monkey's <laughs> paw. It's like, what if we had more Fast Saga news that we could talk about? And then Dwayne Johnson's giant hand would... <laughs> that's the sound when a when finger curls of Dwayne Johnson's goes... <laughs> that one tiktok video he did where he like snaps his broken pinky back into place but it's a monkey paw and we get the Hobbs solo movie coming somehow before the next fast x finale continuation here's the thing i don't know if i believe that's true i think it might be i'm gonna go ahead i'm gonna put spoilers in the time code spoilers (laughs) for fast x because we have to talk about this so, True. for the rest of the news segment, it will be spoilers for Fast X, and then we will transition into Across the Spider-Verse. Yes, official spoiler warning for Fast X, somehow, a couple minutes in. But Hobbs is back, and I am okay with that. I think that it's he is part of the universe, and I agree. he needs to be part of the universe, and he is introduced in the best of them all, Fast Five, but somehow... We got an Instagram post or a tweet or whatever where he's like, we're enriching the Fast X lore or whatever and and jamming a Hobbs solo movie in the middle of things. It's apparently not a Hobbs and Shaw sequel. It's its own standalone Hobbs thing. So here's my theory. You want to hear what I'm thinking? Lay, Lay it on me. If they have their wits about them, which it's The Rock, so who knows? This is going to be... Lion King one and a half for Fast X. Oh my goodness gracious. I had an incredibly similar theory. I think that after credit scene uh, where they, the big surprise reveal of Fast X at the end there, I think that will probably be at the very least towards the end of the movie, or at least that would make more sense if they're oh, trying I, to do that. Interesting. I wasn't thinking that. I was thinking that happens at the same time that he calls out Dom in Fast X, like they line up, and that oh, beginning of like that's the inciting incident, and then Hobbs is on his own mission, and I Hobbs guess. is also there in Rome with the rolling bomb, and we just <laughs> don't know it. I feel like if he was more in the know about Dante during those events, I feel like he would be inserting him. And I mean, I know this is all. Maybe a fake, maybe a real feud <laughs> timeline of of Vin and The Rock, which has maybe partially, perhaps been officially squashed by this announcement, which I don't know if I believe any of that either. But I, I feel like it would be too weird and confusing if he wasn't like, oh, this guy is trying to kill me and my friends i'm not even gonna say he's maybe part of the family he feels a little removed from the family well i've got two theories seamus okay okay keep going i think will enrich your experience they're separate theories i don't think both of these things will happen (laughs) and i don't particularly want either of these things to happen but uh, they are things that i think are being kind of the chess pieces are in play Mm. 
one, Hobbes could very well be the deus ex machina at the beginning of Eleven to come in and save Dom. I think that would make sense. He could roll in with the artillery, like, jump in my damn proof my bomb damn proof tank dom and son and that could also be in line with your like mr nobody theory like he could be off working with mr nobody we don't know that's true that's true whatever they're gonna do with this weird thing we're gonna go premiere day god help us we'll get a big rock poster to go with our experience but my last theory shavis in its lion king one and a half of the fast saga I think halfway through this Hobbes movie, Shaw shows up in the car directly after the scene that he leaves in the middle of Fast X. See, I very much like that. For as much as we can even remember about Hobbes and Shaw between the two of us, I like that they set up for more shenanigans with them. I want them to hate being near each other, but forced to anyway. All of that with the caveat that Han and Shaw better team up in in Fast X Part 2. Oh my god, what a wasted... I mean, hopefully, hopefully, man, they set up plenty in Fast X that I would love to have them be smart enough to pull off in the subsequent films, but now that we know that they're, like, super comfortable with just throwing in extra, like, whatever, maybe maybe we'll get Tokyo Drift 2 before we get the actual Fast X finale finale. Maybe it'll be a four-part 4X finale instead of a two- or three-part. Like, they're like, every journey has an end, but a journey could just never really end if, if, if they're gonna keep going on this route, so let's see what happens. I'm excited to find out as we go into the Hobbsverse. Let's go ahead and move on to our main segment, Spider-Man colon Across the Spider-Verse. Let's do it. For today's main segment, we are talking about the brand spanking new Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. We just saw this together last night, opening night, IMAX. Garrett, I I'm sure you've been thinking about this movie as much as I have in the like 12 hours since we got out of the theater. What are you thinking about this one? I think it's one of the great all-time part twos, Seamus. I genuinely think that I mean it's my favorite movie of the year so far, hands oh, yeah. down. It's one of the great blockbusters of the century so far, not just the decade, the century. It is so incredible. It is nearly flawless. You know, there are obviously some things that we can't get into very well right now, but I think, as our broadcasting location may imply, I think this is what it must have felt like to see Empire Strikes Back when it first came out. It did something to me. I don't don't know what I looked like when this movie wrapped up and credits started to roll, But I am sure I looked like an absolute fool. I was beside myself, man. It was movie magic. It is movie magic on screen right there. And it floored me. And I loved it. And I don't know. I don't know personally if I can think of another movie that has done that to me to that degree. I just don't know if I've ever seen something like that. Yeah, it's been a long time. Because there's so many different layers of why this movie is blowing your mind. Mm. The first Spider-Verse, great film. We just sung its praises for an hour last week. But it is a visual spectacle the likes of had not been really seen in a mainstream Mm. Hollywood animated film 
And it's a very good, both ensemble superhero film, like a team-up movie, and origin story film. Like, it's doing, you know, it's already ringing three bells in harmony that make it, you know, greater than the sum of its parts. This movie comes in, it's not doing all of the same things, but it is elevating what was there in the first film to a degree that is kind of unbelievable, and also peppering in so many other elements, especially from a story perspective, that it's executing really, really well. You know my thought process on this is that sequels usually are not very good, but a well-executed sequel is better, has a higher high than almost any first movie can reach from, like, an entertainment and adventure perspective. There's so much more to build on. There's so much groundwork that you don't have to worry about. There's so much freedom that you can take and really explore your premise and your characters, and that's why things like Empire Strikes Back, Godfather Part 2, Paddington 2, I said it, (laughs) Spider-Man 2, come in and blow the roof off, even though their first films are all good great i mean obviously you know i said the godfather in there so Uh, yes of course but i i know what you mean it's everything that we basically said last week about character and emotion in in a space like this where it's like very it could be confusing down in the conceptual level of spider-versing things but once these characters that we know are back together and then these new characters introduced in the way that we can we can catch on quick the concept of this movie is spider people we can keep pace a lot of the time with a lot of new people new things being thrown at us but it sacrifices none of the really hard-hitting emotional miles morales family friend dynamics that he has with the rest of the people in his life that they could have sacrificed for, you know, more spider moments. But it, it is, like, the perfect ratio in this sequel. Anything in this art style would leave me wanting more, but everything about it, I'm ready to go watch it again. I'm ready to do a double feature of mm-hmm. movies that I have seen, like, within a day already. I, I loved it. Once again, it takes the concept of, like, what if all the characters were in very different art styles when they got together and just expands that so much. It's really pretty crazy. The kind of experimental filmmaking, experimental art style that is going on throughout this film and it never really lets up. No, through and through as they're they're kind of jumping around. I was truly in awe. You could you could probably have looked over at me and seen my eyes just as wide as they could have possibly been because it was gorgeous fluctuating within like shot reverse shot animation moments of the separate distinct unique universes of animation going just back and forth i mean it really is unlike anything i can think of anything i've ever seen and two and a half ish hours maybe a little shorter two hours 20 minutes which is still like the longest mainstream oh yeah i mean movie ever definitely it's like like plenty long but when those credits started rolling, I 
much like Fast X, I turned to you and I was like, I thought there was an hour left. I could have sat here for two more hours. I thought we just got here because it was nothing but pure entertainment. You mentioned how impressed you were with the scaling of this film and how it keeps things intimate and family-focused. That's something that the first film balances really well, is between, like, the big-scale Spider-Man adventure mm. and the small-scale Peter... Or, well, not Peter Parker, Miles Brown. I was, gonna, I was thinking in, like, general Spider-Man <laughs> right, in, terms. In the more common Spider-Man. Yes, but the Miles Morales and his family stakes. This movie's pacing, part of the reason it's so long, is it really luxuriates in scenes. An epic scene that is this massively scaled, unlike anything you've ever seen, action sequence. They take their time. It's really several minutes long. It's a sequence. The opening of this film, which I won't get into any specifics on, mm. I like, oh, this is going to be a fun like five minute opening. And then, continuing my Empire Strikes Back analogy, a few minutes into it more, I was like, oh no, this isn't a cute cold open. This is the Battle of Hoth. Yeah, it dawned on me a little while into that intro. It was like, oh, this wasn't just for, like, really fun trailer stuff to get people in here. Mm -hmm. This is, like, the movie. From that point on, I was just having a ball in that movie. And then on the other end of it, the family stuff, they spend a lot of time on, too. It's not just, like oh, Miles needs to help out with this thing, or this isn't a real example. Miles needs to help out around the house, and he's not here, and then they just look at each other, and they, they make sad faces. Mm. It's really exploring those characters' dynamics and what they want from each other and how that would really impact a real-life household and making those small-scale stakes feel as important as the giant, epic, multiversal stakes. Let's talk cast a little bit obviously some stellar returning players Shamik Moore, Haley Steinfeld, technically Oscar Isaac, Jake Johnson. What do you mean technically oh technically returning? I thought you meant technically good. Player. And I was like, what the hell man? I thought Oscar Isaac was incredible in this he movie. He stood out so much. It's not often that I am menaced by or like intimidated by uh, Oscar Isaac role no. but this was surely maybe the most intimidating he has ever been and then some fantastic performances from newcomers is array daniel kaluuya very mm -hmm. excited to see them but who stole my heart is of course mr jason schwartzman i can't believe how good he was in this movie i'm a jason schwartz man if you will i'm always a fan of seeing him in everything pretty much you know hand me any Wes Anderson movie, and he's who I'm staring at the whole time regardless, but incredible. I want every animated character voiced by, I want the Schwartzman verse, you know? <laughs> he, he was he evolved his voice over the time that he was on screen in a way that I wasn't expecting and absolutely blew me away. Much like, uh, you know, most other individual aspects of this movie, but he performed the hell out of his character. I also enjoyed, I didn't notice this until the end credits, Genki, who is Miles Morales's, you know, man in the chair in, yeah, pretty much, like, in every incarnation of Miles Morales, pretty much. 
played by Peter Stone, Pixar's own Emil the Rat, <laughs> Peter Stone. Wow, no kidding. I did not I did not pick up on that. That is very fun. Cuz he's a Pixar animator and storyboard artist. And so he is usually behind the scenes, but then sometimes he steps in and he plays a role in one of the movies and his his biggest role is of course is as Emil, Remy's brother in Ratatouille. Classically, of course, but I I was glad to see that character if you have any interest in seeing this movie, if you saw the first one and enjoyed it, if you've watched a Marvel movie in the last five years, and I'm <laughs> saying this is like penance, if you've watched a Marvel movie in the last five years, I feel that you're obligated to have the experience of going to see this movie. I, and I don't mean obligation to a studio or to the superhero genre, or I mean obligation to yourself because it is a cinematic experience the likes of which I have never really had. It's hard to, like you said, compare it to any other movie other than something like The Empire. Like an event that I wish I had been there opening night for blank. This is a movie that you're like, I wish I saw Spider-Verse 2 in the movie theater. And absolutely. Maybe not everybody's going to feel that way. You know, not everybody feels that way about Empire Strikes Back, but... This movie has the kind of impact that a lot of people are going to feel that way. And from what I've read about the reviews, maybe some people are being even a little bit too enthusiastic, which is hard for this movie. (laughs) But, you know, people with Marvel brain are going to Marvel brain. Oh, yes, indeed. I can't echo what you're saying more. Like, truly, if you value animation as an art form, if you... If you have any kind of history with or connection to Spider-Man as a comic book character, as a, as a, if you watch some of the old cartoon shows, you know, whatever. It, it is more than worth going to see in the theater in the biggest, loudest way you can because it was it, it, breathtaking, truly. Also an excellent sound mix uh, on our oh, yeah. viewing. I was really impressed with that. Yeah, definitely. Definitely agree with that. I mean... We'll get in more to the specifics of the soundtracks and the moments and the, the sounds, but oh, we should we should get into spoilers, I think. Let's get into the nitty-gritty, my friend. Let's let's uh, call the spoilers here. You ready to talk about that opening, Seamus? I've never been more mesmerized at the intro to a movie. It, it was incredible. I wasn't expecting a Gwen intro for some reason. I guess I, uh, you know, they set up at the end of the last movie kind of a seamless uh, transition of story that they kind of walked back a little bit more to show their own separate lives without each other. And the whiplash drum editing of her explaining out what is happening, like what's been happening with her in the meantime, and kind of honestly giving a little bit of a recap to what happened in the last movie. I loved it. It was incredible. And that's when we get our, her Peter Parker not only like died on her watch, but was killed by her in, in, in a way, I think. Indirectly, I'd say in the way that Spider-Man yeah, or yeah. Spider-Woman or Spider-Gwen usually kills their villains, which is through their own hubris, they end yeah, themselves. Yeah. It wasn't murder. It was like manslaughter. It was lizard manslaughter. It was you it know? was jumping over the glider that killed yeah. Osborne. This was intense. The stuff with Gwen and her captain dad and all of, of her own secrets. A lot of things in Spider-Verse stories. In whichever Spider-Verse you are currently watching, it's about, you know, obviously it's the secret identity. It's the... 
the double life and dealing with your own direct family members and their role in things. But seeing all those interesting interactions between Gwen and her captain dad versus like Miles and his lieutenant soon to be captain dad, mm-hmm. I, I thought it was incredible. The fact that it's not a Miles opening when, you know, all the advertising was prepping you for Miles just based on the first movie. You're like, here's here's a reference I'll pull out. You're going to see Toy Story 2. You're like, oh, I'm just going to be so happy to be back in Andy's room with all the <laughs> toys. And, you know, Is that how they marketed Toy Story 2? I mean, that's still what it is. You know, it's I eventually guess you get true. there. But instead, they're like, no, Buzz Lightyear's on a space adventure fighting <laughs> evil Emperor Zerg on a distant planet. That spike hallway is intense. This isn't quite that out of left field. However, the idea that you're expecting a continuation of Miles' story and a more subdued opening when this movie just guns for it immediately with a character who you weren't expecting, with more than one character who I think you weren't expecting right off the bat. I don't know how long the title card and... Opening credits are into this movie, but I would say it's got to be like half an hour. This like it's sequence. a while, yeah, for sure. They they take so much specific, beautiful time to like showcase the animation of Gwen's universe and give that like extra intro depth to her character. I, if I'm being honest, I didn't like super love that character in the first one. Like I think she's good and fun and interesting in you know in a lot of different ways, but I get bogged down in the cringy teenage interactions of it all which she is a very big component in but right off the bat in this second one it's like incredible like avant-garde editing between her drumming and her transitions on the subway to web swinging to her own apartment to her own interactions with her dad and i could have had an entire movie of just her which i'm almost surprised there haven't been more standalone animated spider-man movies I also just want to call out that every time she sees her own reflection, she is Spider-Gwen in her reflection, Mm -hmm. which I think is a really nice touch. They get to do a lot of visual storytelling, of course, and animation that you can't do in live action. But we were talking off mic about how in the first movie, I'm kind of like, she's the Haley Steinfeld Spider-Man. And then in this movie, I'm like, no, she is coming into her own as a character. Mm. I think that's a credit to the way she's written. I think that's a credit to Steinfeld's growth as a performer. Not that Haley Steinfeld has ever been bad at acting, but I think she is better in this movie than she is in the first one. I think it's a testament to the amount of time that we spend with her, that she feels more developed, not just in the way she's written, but just like, Placing her as, she begins this movie as the protagonist, and I think you could make the argument that she is the dual protagonist of this film with Miles. Oh yeah, for for sure. She is driving so much of what happens in this movie. Miles is learning that she is more in charge of the things that are going on in the plot here, as we are learning that she is more in charge of the things in the plot going in there. Is it almost like the Jack Burton effect of like the main character is this is more of the secondary character in their own movie than i'm thinking of i mean it's not that as explicit as as like big trouble in little china we still get so much great miles content of him taking charge doing the things but 
I was gonna say, like I, said, I think we credited this movie for really zoning in on the drama of Miles' life and his journey and what he's going through right now. I could see the argument that, and we haven't gotten to the ending yet, we have to wait a little bit, I think. Yes, I know, ending. I usually jump straight to the ending as soon as we're in spoilers when we do things, but it's gotta be the slow burn. The way this movie ends, Miles' arc is not quite as completed as... Gwen's is. Miles gets a really nice button on the end of his arc, like he goes through a full story in this film, but there's some catharsis that does not happen, that needs to happen, obviously, in Beyond Spider-Verse for Miles, that Mm -hmm. Gwen does actually get to fulfill by the end of the film in her separate arc. And that's kind of what I I was thinking about when I'm saying, like, in the spider part of things, because like, again, I can't express how real and emotional the the scenes between Miles and his parents were like even the fight at his dad's party towards the beginning of this movie I'm like this feels like a real family really struggling with how they're growing apart because of this secret that can't really come out right now going all the way to like even Gwen's individual interactions with Miles's parents that feels like where that main character catharsis starts to come through and Miles is not really anywhere to be found in those scenes and that's that's where he's getting dragged along caught up with things once he actually gets into the spider-verse as it were and I think that this movie actually asks a more difficult conversation than most spider-man movies are willing to which is what would you do if your son was clearly, like, in something bad? There's mm. part of his life that he refuses to share with you, where he is essentially missing for chunks of time. You know, in something like Raimi's films, May obviously is worried about Peter, but it's always chalked up to him more like, he's acting out because his uncle just died or something like sure. that. And in this, is like, oh no, my son has become a person who... I don't understand, and in his time away from me, he's doing things that he is completely unwilling to to clue me in on. It makes it feel like, no, you want to be like, no, it's okay, he's just a superhero, it's fine. (laughs) He's just a crime-fighting vigilante with radioactive powers, there's nothing going on here. Which, in other Spider-Man movies, they make it a little bit more like, that's one of the worst things you could be, or in something like Spider-Man 2, May's like, that's Spider-Man. He sure gets around, huh? <laughs> yeah, I do. I do. I do like that. But then there's the even... I didn't think they were going to go the angle of, like, Miles as Spider-Man is kind of like buddies with his own dad in the streets. And like, they do the bit at the end. Scene. Oh, I do love it. Yeah, I really want more and more of that uh, if I can get it. Because I thought it was really just, like, a good bit at the end of the first Spider-Man where he's like doing the deep voice or the first spider-verse rather where he's doing the deep voice but it seems like they do this often now which is which is something i really do love and it's contrasted ironically of course with the fact that gwen and her cop father cannot speak when they're on the job which superhero movies have this problem generally where you have to kind of justify vigilantism And the old school way of doing that, well, is like, well, Superman's a friend of the police, you know? Yeah, yeah. Even even Batman's got, he's got Gordon's number. Exactly. 
Spider-Man and the police always have a more contentious relationship, obviously. And this movie dials that up a lot, but also in Gwen's storyline, I think blurs some lines that in the current political landscape are a little bit interesting. I think it's hard is generally in the right place. And I don't have anything particularly strong. I also have to formulate. I think I have to watch it again with that kind of framing in <laughs> yeah, mind. Yeah, sure. I don't know. I think that there is a little bit of a wrinkle in the way that Gwen and her cop dad interact. But from a dramatic perspective, the way it's contrasted with Miles and his dad, in a way, being Spider-Man has made them more of like equals mm. and made able to connect in a way that they struggle to when they're themselves. With Gwen, it's the opposite of everything seemingly hunky-dory at home, but then there's all of this tension that's being built up and smashing against each other when they're at odds as their alter egos. Like, Miles is straight up giving his father parenting advice for himself as Spider-Man, and, like, it is kind of, like, genuinely touching. It's, like, a way to hear... And speak to each other on, like, completely level terms without any whatever father-son stuff. But then you do get to the pulling a gun on your own daughter to arrest her in, like, this weird, like, savior kind of way. Where it's like, I need to, one, avenge my daughter's friend. And I also need to show my daughter that... You need to do things the right way, but the obsession and the contention that they do already have just, like, flares up. And I liked that kind of really harsh, familial space that Gwen finds herself in right towards the beginning there. I agree. Because then it also drives home way farther, I think, a lot of the themes that we're going to see start to come through in Beyond the Spider-Verse. Maybe Spider-Man doesn't have to sacrifice everything always forever for everyone and you can alter the sacred spider web timeline and all that in a way that you know it's not necessarily web shattering but it it is spider-man's making a choice when they thought they couldn't well gwen is also on this interesting parallel journey that is almost more text and miles's journey is subtext almost where gwen is literally running away from her problems to the point Mm. that her relationship with her father is so broken that she's going to go to another dimension never go home miles has a strained relationship with his parents where he's missing a lot but he's not to the point where he can't go back to his parents he can't go back to his family the dramatic question of the film for miles is is he going to be able to reconcile the life of spider-man with the family that he has obligation to and is he brave enough to share the parts of his personality that he only lets go when he's spider-man you know he says cuss words he grows up a lot and a lot of the way that we're shown that is the way that he acts with his parents you know more like he's still like a little 13 year old middle schooler Mm -hmm. and then when we see him as spider-man it's a different attitude. He's more grown up. Now, obviously, as this movie hints out, the division between your Spider-Man identity and your secret identity are things that are always at odds. That's a core thematic value of a Spider-Man film. But the way that they're able to make such small but important distinctions between 
the relationships of each spider person's family and their vigilantism is really well handled. It's really smart writing. The only thing that sucks is that by the end of this movie, Miles is ready to share with his family, but Mm. doesn't get the opportunity to have that catharsis. Whereas Gwen, not only does she get to have the catharsis with her father proper, but also learns to be a team player. So Miles, he has like half of his issues resolved. Gwen gets a whole issue resolved, plus another whole issue resolved over the course of this movie. (laughs) Spider-Gwen's eating good this movie. She's getting all her emotional, important character things going. I could watch a new Spider-Man tomorrow, you know? Like, I, if they made, I keep saying, if they made this movie four hours long and just gave me more, I would have loved it. I want more Spider-Gwen. I want the new Spider editions. Let's talk, you know, talking Spider-Punk. I'm forgetting his name now. The Indian Spider-Man. I want to point out, I didn't mention this when we were listing the cast up top, but Spider-Man India is his name. Is that really? What? Really? Uh Uh-huh. His actor is Karan Sony, who, of course, is famously from Safety Not Guaranteed, also with Jake Johnson, which we mentioned on the show last week. It's all coming together. It's all bageling together, Garrett. He's also um, Dopender in the in Deadpool, Deadpool of course. Yeah. Yes, I kind of am in love with Spider-Man India. He's like the the most fun. Spider-Man, I've seen, like, the new variation of Spider-Man in a long time, especially as part of, like, the main Spider-Cast here. I think part of that is coming from, not all of it, obviously, there's just aesthetic choices and personality choices that are really fun, but he's the only Spider-Man, and this becomes a very important plot point in the movie, that is just having fun with it. He's he's still in the fun and games phase. He's not lost a person that, once again, every Spider-Man loses at least one person, often two, mm. that really make them Spider-Man. And that with great power comes great responsibility and all that junk. Of course. Which, and, and Which actually brings me to a question that I was thinking about today. I wasn't sure where that Spider-Man with his cool gold hoop spiderweb thing going on like, where he stands in the Council of Spider-Men. Obviously, he knows about Spider-Punk, and he's super on the level with, like, oh, we got a couple Spider-Men coming in from another dimension to care mm-hmm. about, like, a thing right now. But he also is, like, trying to save the people that would cause a cannon-shattering event to happen. The whole point is that Spider-Man can't save everyone. And the other people are explicitly aware of who is supposed to die in that scenario, but... They can't tell him that because he can't save, you know. Miles yeah, I guess... Be, the entire reason Miles can't be in the Citadel of Ricks is <laughs> that his multiversal adventures are directly correlated with the cause of the loss that careens him further into Spider-Manhood, and that if he is aware of the multiverse then he can potentially actually save the person who he shouldn't be able to save, who in this instance is, of course, his father, who I believe is traditionally the person that Miles loses Yes, I believe so, as his tragedy, as his specific spider tragedy. Which I think is an interesting subversion that happens in Spider-Verse, is because it it kind of feels like his dad's set up to be the guy who he loses, and of course it's, it's Uncle Aaron. Oh, God, that scene still hurts. 
he's kind of special, so he's explicitly not allowed to be in the Spider-Verse because... In Spider-Club? They know that if he knows about what's going on in the Spider-Verse, that he can stop it. They also have the fact that you're the Spider-Man that's not supposed to exist, also. There's the other yeah, thing on I... top of that. It's a hat on a hat. I thought that we were going to go into, like, Spider-Prison to see all the other Spider-People that shouldn't have existed, but he really is, like, the one, which is kind of sad, because he is, like, the best. And that also answered a lot of my questions going in about, like, does the Council of Spider-Ricks, are they gonna have multiple Mileses? And, like, we have so many PS4 Spider-Man nods in this one that I was like, there is, like, like, he knows a Miles Morales in that game, like, he in his story... Very famously, they they interact. Yeah, I'm interested to see what they do with that in Beyond the Spider-Verse, but I mentioned how it's kind of a hat on a hat. Miles is special in two different ways, and I like that the through line there, the lasso that pulls all of that in and keeps this movie from getting too bloated for its own good, is the fact that the spot really is Miles' great nemesis who impacts him throughout his entire journey. And that that really does make it feel like a cohesive whole and not just, man, there's a lot of different things going on in this movie. You're talking about new villain best friend, The Spot? Wait, is it The Spot or is it just Spot? The Spot. The Although spot. they call him Spot sometimes in this, so, you know. Yeah, that's fine. It's Jason Schwartzman. Love him to death. I really thought, like, his cute little slouchy stance he does to be like, I'm The Spot. I thought, you know, I was like, ah, oh, that's fun. He's like a weird, lumpy, strange form guy that's, like, standing in a distinct way. But then by the end of the movie where he's, like, extra distorted... And he still has that, like, strange proportion length of arms and legs to weird boxy rectangle torso. It turns into, like, genuinely kind of frightening and, like, mm -hmm. very actually villainous. And I'm so excited to see his true nemesis. Like, it was, was the spot a thing before I have this no movie? idea. Because I, I no genuinely idea. love it. The powers are great. The backstory, he's the guy that they hit with a bagel on the way out of the laboratory in the first movie. It's incredible. It's such amazing backtracking, yanking a, this weird background character all the way to the forefront and making it one of the best parts of the entire movie made out of only good parts. I, I can't wait for Beyond the Spider-Verse to have that showdown. I think that he really is, for me, the best part of the movie because... Obviously, I was enamored with first half Jason Schwartzman version of the spot where he's just like, oh yeah, he's snarky and kind of inept. He's trying know. to steal that ATM for like hours, like mm -hmm. a single ATM. I thought that was great. And I'm like, I know Spider-Man is like trying to deal with this, but there are cops like that you would call when your ATM is getting stolen, right? Yeah, that's true. He was doing it for a free beef patty though, you know? That's true. He, that's I, true. I, I that was a good bit. He's like, you can have that for free if you catch this guy. And he doesn't catch him. He's like, you can pay me later for that beef patty <laughs> and when, he, when he runs out. When his like, third eye opens and he becomes interdimensional being oh, Jason Schwartzman. That, like, hell he yeah. Dr. Manhattan, kind of. Yeah, he kind of does, though. Like, he really does. He, he's like gaining more power and knowledge and vengeance lust. As he goes and, like, is raiding all of these Alchemex labs. Wait, Alchemex? Alchemex. Alchemex. Genuinely incredible. The, the interweaving of, like, he 
personally brought, you know, Spider 42 to Miles' world, and he was there at all of the major events, and he is this honestly more compelling than most villains to me, his motivation of like, you ruined my life, Spider-Man, and you're gonna take me seriously, whatever cost it takes. This is what I am because you made me this, and you're gonna know me as, you know, more than a joke, more than the villain of the week. And I like the idea that you can incorporate villain of the week into a character motivation. I think that's a really fun subversion of, like, superhero ideas. Again, we've been making so many superhero movies. How haven't we thought of this yet? (laughs) We finally have a good one. I mean, meta of this movie is cranked to 11, but in the least obnoxious way that I could think of. You know, like, the idea of canon is more of, like, a cosmic threat than the weapon of a nerd to yell at somebody about why this isn't a real Spider-Man or whatever. I think think that that was beautifully done. I think that similarity is intentional, Seamus. I think the idea of, like, you can't break the canon and it's all of the people getting really mad at, you know, the (laughs) black teenager for not, you know... You know, that is smarter than... (laughs) Oh, God. Saving your dad is woke. (laughs) Oh, and that's that's the biggest problem that slow elevator platform Oscar Isaac has with Miles Morales. <laughs> that's a good joke. I forgot about that joke. That is a good bit. I mean, for as scary and intimidating as Miguel O'Hara is as a character, like weird vampire spider fang injector gun Miguel O'Hara is, like he's got some good bits throughout this this movie. Who's more intimidating, though, Miguel O'Hara or Ben Riley himself, Andy Samberg? Dude, I loved that Scarlet Spider stuff so much. That was so funny. He was so sad, Garrett. He was so sad. That felt a little bit more in line with like the Nick Cage. Spider-Noir. Yeah. Oh, dude. Hell yeah. That is that is the vibe that that is giving. Because there are so many more other competent. Not, like, serious, because they're all still quipping, but, like, mostly serious spider people in this spider world. That you gotta sprinkle in a couple, you gotta sprinkle in a couple weird ones that get the highlight. I also do want to mention that I feel like I was a little bit worried about how multiverse fan service this was gonna get. I think they handled oh. it really well. Because No Way Home, it cheapens everything about your movie when the entire idea is clap because you know who andrew garfield is you know sure sure and this movie the way they incorporated you know they physically showed the live action spider-man as like look into this dimension and see how it went this time as a kind of background piece or they mentioned no way home as like oh don't even get me started on that started kid with doctor, doctor strange. strange yeah for sure i thought those were well placed you know they're fan service but they're not disruptive it's just as much fan service as it needs to be in a movie that is like look at how crazy and recognizable everything in this spider-verse is like it it sprinkled in just enough to make me happy to see both andrew and toby's weeping faces in in like hologram form honestly probably my favorite tie-in i mean we we haven't talked about the donald glover thing yet but i think probably my favorite live action tie-in was the venom one i thought that was really funny when spot sticks his head through the convenience store and he sees the old woman that works at yeah the yeah venom. i think that's actually i've i've kind of half watched the first venom and didn't like it very much but i think that that's a fun 
execution of that idea of he happens to stick his head into the one place of the Spider-Verse <laughs> where this lady's just unfazed by interdimensional uh, Jason Schwartzman. Yeah, that that is very fun. And I, I too saw the trailer for Venom, so I knew what was happening in that moment, you know? Like, that was that was all I needed. Let's go ahead and talk about, is that MCU Prowler? Discuss. I uh, wish it could be Donald Glover in Prowler armor with the claws in the prison of villain variants. It's what I've been waiting for since Homecoming. Every single time I watch Homecoming with somebody who's not up on Miles Morales stuff, I'm like, hey, did you hear? Did you see how he mentioned that he has a nephew? Like, let me talk about this for five minutes straight and I'll pause the movie. But I almost feel like they pulled the trigger on it in a Krasinski is Mr. Fantastic style kind of way. You know oh, what yeah. I mean? Like, I don't mean that he's coming back. I think oh. it's funnier if he's the exact same, not a variant of, but the exact same Aaron Davis that we saw in, in Homecoming. Homecoming. And, and he's then just when, stuck there forever. And then when No Way Home happened, he got stuck in another dimension and then can't get out. Like, he's now stuck in time jail forever. <laughs> like, when we finally get to live-action MCU Miles Morales, there will be a line as nonchalant as, hey, I got a nephew that lives around here. He'll, he'll just be like, I used to have an uncle that lived around here. No one knows what happened to him. Disappeared forever. Uh, you ever watch that show Rick and Morty? That's weird. <laughs> but this movie was great. It was really fantastic, and... I feel like there's a billion more things to say about this movie. I mean, we should definitely just quick chat about the ending. I was going to say, but maybe it makes sense while we're on Prowler and Miles to talk about the elephant in the room. The Mahershala Ali in the room? Yeah. You knew pretty early that he was in the wrong dimension, right? In the send me home machine. Honestly, dog, it got me. He got me pretty good. Midway through him talking to his mom and, like, revealing, like, I'm Spider-Man. And she's like, I sure, buddy. Don't know what that means, but yeah, fine. I was like, oh, oh, got it, got it, got it. And then then I was like, regular non-Spider-Man Miles is going to come home and he's going to be like, I was supposed to be Spider-Man. You stole Spider-Man from me, basically. Which might happen, uh, you know, who knows, but... As it stands, Miles number 42 is the Prowler, and that Mm -hmm. is the coolest thing I have ever seen in a superhero movie. I wouldn't go that far, maybe, but... Conceptually, he is his own actual, like, classic nemesis. That's Mm -hmm. incredible. I think that's a cool... It's a cool twist. It's executed really well, because even though that's something that I saw coming, it was told in a really satisfying way. Marching out onto the roof of sad, destroyed, post-apocalypse New York of, like, this is what happens with Spider-Man. The It's a wonderful life New York That's where Spider-Man exactly was never I born. I, I also thought about, there's a lot of Back to the Future 2 in this movie. Oh, like, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's kind of alternate reality 1985 too it's like biff is taken over Hill yeah Valley dude turned everything oh. into a casino everything's a hotel very effective cliffhanger there at the end very excited to see where they go with the promise of that idea and i hope they explore it as fully as most of the ideas in this film were explored because the first spider-verse is a promise it's 
here's all this cool stuff that we're going to execute really well. But you only get, like, a taste of most of it, you know? It's, oh, oh what yeah. if there were other spider dimensions, and then we have a three-minute, maybe three-minute scene that's set in the other dimension, you can see that art style in full. And then this movie, they're like, what if we spent a ton of time in each of these wondrous different places? Mm. Because I was frankly expecting a lot more universe jumping in this movie, and I don't yeah. even mind, because the quality of the time that we spent in the maybe five or six that we get to see felt so luxurious and meaningful and story driven and character relevant i was a little ready to go to spider punk verse and see that a little more fleshed out but okay hear me out is spider punk if he's punk because his whole thing is like he's not down with the with the like he's anti-establishment yeah which is cool so in spider punk's universe is he punk or is everybody punk, and then he's just, like, a normal guy? Oh, that's a good question. That is a very good question. I I mean, in his little, all right, bruv, let's do this one more time, like, he gets his, you know, his little mm-hmm. comic book intro, it looks like he is still, like, kind of uniquely punk in his world. He's still, like, doing his music things and, you know, causing a ruckus in, in London. It made me want to play the... Spider-Punk skin in Spider-Man PS In Spider-Man? Dude, that's all I was thinking about, for real. Talk about a promise at the end of this movie, though. We have the great setup of Miles v. Miles, which we were just talking about, and the OG Spider-Peeps from the first movie coming back for the team-up shot, telling us we are going crazy for the next one. We got a super small snippet of Penny Parker on the Citadel of of spiders in her new mech suit which yeah I in like. her new mech suit which i was like oh I, i'm super happy I, I i loved penny parker and her weird like the weirdest spider-man concept that i think i know but now we've got spider hams up on there we got spider-man noir baby i was i'm so happy to see him even if we didn't get a single word from nick cage <laughs> it's the old crew and the new crew it's the spider rebellion against Against Os- Oscar Isaac, and I'm I'm super super excited and for it. They're all look there wearing Han Solo's clothes in the cockpit <laughs> of the Millennium Falcon, and they're going off to find Miles. Oh, dude, it's gonna be the best. I have a feeling they'll probably start beyond the Spider Verse with the same kind of like backtracking the final shot of this one to be like Gwen doing her Nick Fury. I'm putting a Spider Team together kind of thing. And, you know, visiting the different verses to pull out her team and, like, come back for that team-up shot. I'm At least that's what I'm hoping. I want a little bit more Miles being stranded in no Spider-Man-verse. I agree. And the team-up coming together. I, I think that would be the perfect way to get that going and then launch into... The spot is on the loose, Garrett. The spot is still out there. He's gonna destroy the multiverse. He certainly He's gonna is. maybe kill Miles' dad. He yeah. he promised to kill Miles' dad, and I, I want to see if he makes good on it. A couple of things I I just know we haven't hit yet that I want to make sure we hit. One, the chemistry between Miles and Gwen in this movie is palpable. It is unbelievable that these two animated characters are like, the subtle lip bites of these teenage cartoon characters. I'm like, what is happening here? Like, knowing full well that they are, like, romantic interests in each other, it's insane how well that they can animate that and how well that the voice cast is driving that all the way forward. We're past 
the awkward stuff, which gave me a little weird, you know, a weird thing with Gwen. And now we're into, I want them to be married by next movie mm-hmm. <laughs> or, I'll, or I will riot. And I think the writing, it kind of becomes a 30s screwball comedy when she first comes to his bedroom and they have this rapport that's really solid, but also she's like embarrassing him the whole time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So well done. I'm, I can't wait for the rescue mission. Also, this is really dumb. Genki is playing Spider-Man 2 for PS5. Yeah, man. Oh, that was very fun. But also the implications of that are insane to me. That, that Like, what? How? It's Chris Pine, Spider-Man, the game. In the universe, right, Chris Pine was Spider-Man. Right, yeah. And it's all merchandised. You can go buy Spider-Man popsicles and Christmas albums and of course, masks of course. from Stan Lee. So you could get a Spider-Man video game for your Sony PlayStation 5. It's a different versed version of it, because I'm like, I know what happens in the in, in Spider-Man 1 for PS4. Like, I know who is in it and who does and does not survive certain things, so that would kind of be a mind blower for anybody in the Spider-Verse. But... Also, also the idea of, like, because Genki is in Miles Morales a lot, so the idea... <laughs> you know, I didn't know that, like, actually. Hey, this is me! Like, wow, I can't believe it. Oh, that is that is the best. I can't wait for more spider references. Next movie, I want Genki to learn about Ned from the MCU and go, wait, so they just stole my <laughs> whole thing? Do I even exist in that universe when they uh, eventually th- introduce Miles Morales? They're going to do Enter the Chairverse. It's all the men in all the chairs. They're all in one chair room, and they're all doing that for their respective spider people. Oh, uh, I think we need to go and watch this again in the theater before it's gone. I mean, surely we'll we'll get around to that. And I want I want to bathe in it all again and and kind of soak up a little more of that those layers past me just being absolutely like shocked and interested in every little thing that I'm trying to absorb all at once. There are so many little small things that add to the layers here that are like literally on screen for two seconds and if you don't have time to read it it's just like we're on to the next spider thing and and how that it folds in on itself as a spider thing so we're going back me and you we gotta go back we gotta go back into the spider to be continued bum, bum, bum. <laughs> great scott doc faints you get it you've seen there that. it is you get it yeah. he's putting a banana peel in a car we we're all we all understand but now let's move on to our pop culture reference. Let's do it. For today's pop culture reference, we're going to be talking about the inspiration and origins of Miles Morales. In 2008, Marvel Comics was in the midst of preparing the Ultimatum story arc that would kick off the Marvel Ultimate Universe, a new reality which restructured the Marvel Universe and featured classic characters updated to fit the 21st century. As the likelihood of electing Barack Obama to be the first black president of the United States grew, Marvel execs thought it would be resonant and relevant to make the ultimate version of Spider-Man, Marvel's signature superhero, black. However, as the project was so far along, this idea for Spider-Man was shelved until 2011, when the death of Spider-Man run was introduced. The task of creating this new Spider-Man to replace Peter Parker went to writer Brian Michael Bendis and artist Sarah Pacelli, who created Miles Morales. During the struggle to find and cast a live-action Spider-Man for the 2012 film The Amazing Spider-Man, 
there was a strong online push to cast comedian and musician Donald Glover, which Glover himself was a vocal supporter of. When Pacelli saw this push to cast Glover, and his resulting donning of Spider-Man pajamas in the season 2 premiere of Community, Pacelli actually pulled a great deal from Glover's appearance when designing Miles Morales. In 2017, Donald Glover would make a cameo appearance as Aaron Davis, uncle of Miles Morales and the villain Prowler in the MCU's Spider-Man Homecoming. Glover as Troy Barnes, donning Spider-Man jammies in the season 2 premiere of Community, can be seen in the background of Uncle Aaron's apartment in the original Spider-Verse film as a specific nod to him as a major inspiration for Miles. I mean, I have been thinking about this concept since, like, way back when I was a youngsht watching uh, Donald Glover's Weirdo special, where he does a great, a great bit about his perspective on all of this Spider-Man stuff and the amazing Spider-Man casting and his genuine want to, you know, be a part of that world. I don't know. I think it's it's so fascinating to see so much of this come through in what are some of the best superhero movies I can think of, period, and and how that inspiration came all the way through here to even like, you know, live action things like we were saying. You can find on my Twitter page if you scroll all the way <laughs> over 10 years ago back, a tweet that I made right after Weirdo came out that said, Donald Glover as Spider-Man, question mark, and then I had the gif of him going, dot, 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 yes. <laughs> that is, you are an OG supporter, man. You made Miles Morales happen, dog. I, I, was, I, didn't... I was part of the online campaign. You were. Shows. I was in wow. the trenches. Dude, I because I was less aware of that until I became more of a community fan. Like as it was getting into the you know the second and third seasons after the casting of the Amazing Spider-Man of Andrew Garfield was more set in stone and was kind of left to the wayside. But God bless you, Garrett Strother, for for letting this happen. I get so excited when I see his little cameos in the MCU and all that. So I I would like to see them go even further with that at some point if the, if they were so inclined but the the real spoils of this entire saga are you know the creation and and what Miles Morales is now that's very well put Seamus well thank you you want to go ahead and save the rec center like Spider-Man that we are oh let's save it save the rec center Now it's time to save the rec center, where we give you our weekly recommendations. What do you got for me, Garrett? Seamus, do you like formal experimentation, a sense of hip, new approach to filmmaking, young people who are finding themselves and have immediate connections and shared experiences? Is any of this sounding resonant to what we talked about today or like something you would be interested in generally? Yeah, I was going to say, I already saw Spider-Verse 2, so what else, what what could, the, what do you got for me right now? One of, maybe my favorite movie of the year before we watched Across the Spider-Verse, one of my favorite movies of the year, and something I had not particularly high expectations for, but left floored by, was Rye Lane, a Hulu original romantic comedy. Sure, that could be a thing. I've never heard of that in my life, dude. It, tell, what is it? What is what is it about? It dropped in like February. It's about these two young 
20-somethings who are kind of before sunrising their way through a hangout that both of them happen to be at the same art gallery. Getting to know them and their pasts and the recent breakups that both of them have gone through, what their goals are going forward, what they're looking to get out of their relationship with each other. It's a wonderful cast of characters. It's trite to say, like, it's a quilt. It's a, it's a very well-fabriced piece of media <laughs> that makes it feel like you're in a lived-in place, but it really feels like these are normal people living in London who have normal interactions with other normal people living in London, but also it's kind of metatextually aware of rom-coms as a genre. Huh. It's got a little bit of, like, Spike Lee, Edgar Wright playfulness going on with the way that it tells its story visually. It's a very cute concept executed extremely well with a lot of style. There's personality in every frame of that film. Again, much like Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. So I thought that those were two pieces that seemed really kind of meant for each other. I think that sounds great. I, I would love to get in on that. I mean, it sounds like you're saying that it's like all takes place in this art gallery with I, just the no, one. No, it doesn't single... all take place in the art gallery. You're gonna have to. You're gonna have to oh, find out. Oh, that's a where spoiler question, Seamus. Well, I I love that idea. I'm way into that. I mean, I I I assume there's not really anybody that I know that's in it. It's more of like its own. Yeah, no, it's you're not gonna recognize any of the principal cast members. They're casting relatively unknown, actually mm. young people in the fantastic well that sounds like it's really good and i'm definitely gonna check that out i highly recommend it but what do you got this week Seamus? i wish this wasn't so but i checked off the very last thing that i will ever really need netflix for and i binged watched all six episodes of season three of i think you should leave with tim robinson and I am going to rewatch it again until I cancel my Netflix account, probably, because I was in actual tears for more than one occasion on multiple episodes. Usually when I, you know, go back and rewatch the first two seasons of I Think You Should Leave, there are a couple sketches that to this day don't really do anything for me. And a lot of people say that the charm of this show is that on rewatching the sketches that you don't like, they often become like your favorites and make you laugh the hardest. But in this newest season, there it is. It was more of a rarity to find one that didn't like totally work for me. And I know you're already an I think you should leave style man. So I think you should leave this recording and then go jump on Netflix real quick because those six episodes go like nothing you're you're gonna start it and be done with it and sad that you're over with it in a second and and you'll know exactly how i feel i'm very excited to get in on it you know that i haven't had time to get to season three yet but i've got some time right after this Seamus, so maybe i will i was i i'm telling you man it's so well worth it it's been worth the wait i can't i want to make specific references but i you need to watch it cold so that you can just be blindsided by, you know, this beautiful style of comedy. Love Tim Robinson. Love I Think You Should Leave. 
gonna love watching it thank you Shane. oh yeah oh yes of course every all the all the favorite actors make a return with some really fun cameos you know there's always really good cameos and actually will not be i do know one of the cameos which is very relevant to today's podcast i wasn't gonna bring that up garrett but i see you know more than you let on uh, so that'll be fun <laughs> for me i'm excited about that hell yeah dude you're gonna love it but with that I think we should wrap up the show. If you want to reach the show on social media, that's at PCR underscore podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. You can reach the show directly at popculturereferencepod at gmail.com. Next week, we are jumping into something we've actually been talking about redoing for a long, long time. And we are finally getting down into the battle of the streaming services round two we're recapping it all. It's a completely different landscape streaming-wise uh, than it was when we first started the show and did this uh, concept to begin with. So I am very much looking forward to seeing how our rankings change. We'll see you next week for Battle of the Streaming Services 2 colon Max? With a question mark. <laughs> question mark. Adios, Spider-Man. Ooh, two weeks in a row.